For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard, special championship week edition. I am the New York Daily News' NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. And before I get to picking the AFC and NFC championship games, before we get to Antoine Staley of the Daily News in our second segment on Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, I want to talk about the Giants encouraging season and then get into my 2022 NFL awards. We are in, after all, award season. And Brian Dable has seen some awards roll in. The Pro Football Writers of America voted him Coach of the Year. He is one of three finalists for AP Coach of the Year. But I want to temper the encouragement of the 2022 season and the exciting progress that Joe Shane and Dable made with a caution. The caution is this. The Giants went 1-5-1 and in the NFC East. And Brian Dable needs to walk into the offseason, regardless of how many pats on the back he gets. And he deserves them. He deserves them for getting the Giants back into the playoffs, for elevating their top players from Daniel Jones to Saquon Barkley to Andrew Thomas to Dexter Lawrence. He deserves it for assembling a staff led by Wink Martindale as defensive coordinator that got the most out of a rebuilding roster, really as they were still in the middle of a teardown. So Dable deserves a lot of credit. You will see credit given in the New York Daily News as well. But he did not coach a good game in Philadelphia in the divisional round of the playoffs. His fourth and eight go-for-it scenario, down 7 nothing in the first quarter, was a panic move. It was the wrong call. It was a bad decision. It was uncharacteristic of Dable how he's handled those situations regularly throughout the year. He has not been, contrary to popular belief, just completely aggressive in all of those scenarios. I watched before the game. I know that that was out of Graham Gano's range. You have to punt the ball there. You cannot put the Eagles offense in such a position, especially coming off a third down sack, where they are going to run the ball right down the field again, right down your throat, go up 14-0, and effectively end the game. This this game is a good example of why, even though Dable had a great year, just like the rest of the team, he needs to reflect on the job he did and get better. The Giants need to improve across the board. I loved the tone that GM Joe Shane set in the press conference after the season. He said, this is setting the foundation. Now we're going and trying to continue building this so we're sustainable. And he pointed out, we were 1-5-1 and one in the NFC East. We cannot do that and consider ourselves anywhere close to where we want to be. The Eagles and the Cowboys both effectively embarrassed the Giants in 2022. Dable did a good job early on in the season. Overall, the season was a success. But the schedule was pretty easy compared to what it was in previous years. And it did not end on a good note for the Giants coach. I'm just being realistic. I'm not saying that the Giants didn't have a great year. I'm excited that I'm covering playoff football again in New York, New Jersey. But let's just be honest. The foundation was set by Dable, by Joe Shane. The front office did a great job reinforcing the roster throughout the year. But now is the time to reflect and recognize it's not good enough. And that includes Dable. And I believe he will understand that and doesn't need somebody else to tell him that after saying after that game that he was, quote, outcoached by Nick Sirianni and his staff. I want to tell you about Bet Online, which remains your number one source for all sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. 
Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's all capitals, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And where I'm going to start my 2022 NFL awards is right at the top, most valuable player. And just so you're aware, I am a member of the Pro Football Writers Association. So these these votes are not, I do not vote for the Associated Press Awards. Not yet, anyway. That is, those are considered the official awards. So Dable being a finalist of three and on down the line, that is the Associated Press Awards. I am not a member of that group yet. But I vote for the Professional Writers Association Awards and generally these line up. They don't always mean that this is how it's going to go with the Associated Press. And you can go to the PFWA Twitter account and see the releases trickling out throughout championship week of what the final results of these voting um, these voting ballots were throughout the country. Everybody on every beat um, who is a paid due-paying dues-paying member of the PFWA gets a vote. So my most valuable player for the NFL, this was a tough one, but I picked Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, Patrick Mahomes, I think, is deserving. If he wins the award, I think I don't think that's wrong either. You know, I think both of these guys deserve to win. I voted Hurts MVP because the Eagles are 15 and 1 with him at quarterback. They were 14 and 1 with him in the regular season. 66 and a half completion percentage. 3,701 passing yards, 22 TDs, and six rushing, 760 rushing yards, and 13 touchdowns. Basically, overall, they're 15 and one with them and 0 and 2 without them. And even though this is a really strong roster constructed by GM Howie Roseman, I think that Hertz has been dominant. The Eagles have been dominant and not just good because of Jalen Hertz. There are a lot of games as well where you saw Hertz taken out of the game in the early fourth quarter, um, end of third quarter, or the Eagles dial it back because they were so good, especially in the second quarter in the middle of games, they were running teams out of buildings. Obviously, he got hurt near the end, hurt his shoulder. But frankly, I don't think that should impact his MVP case as far as most valuable to a specific team. When you think about the Eagles essentially being wire to wire the best team in the league, and he's their best player. And it's not even close. Now that said, Mahomes averaged 330 yards per game total to Hertz's 297. And Mahomes, of course, set the NFL record for total yards in a season, 5,614. So that's passing, rushing, and six yards receiving. He has the Chiefs in a fifth consecutive AFC championship game. I predicted at the beginning of the season that he was going to be this season, this year's MVP. And if he wins the MVP award, I'm, you know, I'm right there too. I think uh, it's hard for me to say either of these guys is not deserving. They're both deserving, but my vote hurts MVP Mahomes offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa, defensive lineman, 49ers, 18 and a half sacks, 19 tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. As far as productivity being on the field all season, and being the leader and best player on the best defense in the league. Frankly, this award was not close. Uh, Rookie of the year. This one's interesting. I picked Sauce Gardner of the Jets, the rookie corner out of Cincinnati. Um, He had 20 passes defended, two interceptions, 75 tackles. Now, my defensive rookie of the year, I gave that to Tariq Woolen, uh, the fifth-round pick of the Seattle Seahawks, who had six interceptions. You know, Sauce only had two. Gardner, though, with the Jets, by the end of the season, and we'll talk more to Antoine Staley about this in our second segment, teams weren't throwing at him. I mean, they were they were intimidated by a rookie. I mean, it was really some unprecedented stuff, obviously made first team all pro. So I like the Jets, Sauce Gardner, uh, Woolen from the Seahawks. If he, get, if he got rookie of the year, I'd be fine with that too. Uh, excellent year, forcing six uh, interceptions and that many turnovers and being that big of a game changer that early in your career. Is, re- is really something else. It's hard to do. Offensive Rookie of the Year. I don't know if this is fair. 
Uh, I picked Brock Purdy of the San Francisco 49ers. Now, his sample size is pretty small. Um, he did go 5-0, and completed 67% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, four interceptions. Now, Kenneth Walker, the Seahawks running back, and Garrett Wilson, the Jets wide receiver, I think are both deserving of this award as well. And frankly, if I had to do it all over again, maybe I would select those guys who put those body their bodies on the line all year and produced. And Walker really was as great of a season as Geno Smith did. You know, Walker, he just kept getting stronger and was a huge part of honestly one of the most surprising and um, uh, you know encouraging teams all season. So I'll give it to Brock Purdy though. I mean, Mister Irrelevant you know, the Niners not missing a beat and even getting better offensively once he enters at quarterback. Kyle Shanahan's a great coach, but hard not to give uh, Mr. Purdy some sort of award for that. Comeback player of the year I gave to Geno Smith of the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, let's let's be honest. I agree that when you talk about comeback player of the year, there's a lot of debate about who should win this, what the category should look like. And I agree that somebody like Washington's Brian Robinson, who gets shot on the side of the road um, and ends up coming back months later and having a great year. You know, those are the kind of players that I think uh, deserve this type of award. And I would have no problem with a guy like Brian Robinson winning it. Um, But Geno Smith, I think, is deserving. And I voted for him because, yes, he was only coming back from lack of production to production. But you have to remember, he had not played meaningful football as a starter or even received any opportunity in years upon years. I mean, Geno Smith was effectively, in the minds of most people, out of the league. And so I do think he deserves this award. And you look at 69.8 completion, so almost 70% completion percentage for Geno Smith, 4,282 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. Really happy for him, too. Gino gets a bad rap, great guy, um, and I really hope that he continues to succeed, and I think he deserves acknowledgement. My most improved player, now, so of course, you know, comeback, most improved. Um, I gave this to Talanoa Hufanga, the San Francisco 49ers safety, fifth rounder out of USC. Listen to this jump in production. In 2021 as a rookie, played in 15 games, 32 tackles, Uh, Three on special teams, I believe. Obviously not as prominent of a role. um, So still working his way in as a rookie, as rookies do. In 2022, he starts 97 tackles, four interceptions, two forced fumbles, nine passes defended, two sacks, five tackles for loss, three QB hits. Just a monster and a terror on the back end. And to think he's only in his second NFL season, this Niners team is scary. My coach of the year, we've been over this, so I won't get into it too deep, is Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills. Um, I do think that others who I would give it to include Kyle Shanahan of the San Francisco 49ers, uh, Nick Sirianni of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I think my list probably stops there. Like I said, I think Brian Dable did a great job, uh, but I think one five and one in the division. Um, it's tough for me to give a coach coach of the year if you win one game out of seven in your division, including playoffs. Doug Peterson's the other one I would give it to just because the the turnaround from where the Jaguars were under Urban Meyer to where they were with Doug Peterson is the most dramatic turnaround in the league. I know the Giants had a big turnaround too. The Seahawks had a great turnaround. Pete Carroll could get some love. But you have to understand, and we've been over this in this podcast maybe a couple months ago, the Jaguars were at a point where guys, including a lot of young players, were quitting last year didn't think there was any reason to work. Why would we do it? You know, our coach doesn't believe in us. They didn't like the coach. They didn't respond to him. He wasn't respectful of them. So Peterson turned more than just a record around here. So, you know, that that's kind of my list, I think. My list would be Peterson, uh, McDermott, Sirianni, and Shanahan as the guys that I would give it to. Executive of the year, I don't think this was very close. Howie Roseman of the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, other GMs did good job. Uh, John Schneider with the Seahawks did well, et cetera. But um, Howie Roseman, you know, drafting Jalen Hurts, and that wasn't this year. But think about he hasn't done everything perfectly. Nobody does. Draft misses, all that, whatever. 
But I think Howie is the best GM in the league. I don't think this is just a this year award. I think that um, Roseman's ability to not only understand when it's time to go for something, but also when it's time to hold back and wait and strike when you know the time is right to know what opportunities might come down the pike. And also the way that the Eagles manage their salary cap to get all this done. And you talk about sustainability that the Giants are seeking. Look at the Eagles with these draft picks piled up coming in the future with young players who are producing on their roster as starters and with veterans who are on their way out, but still producing at high levels with contracts that are coming off the books and replacements already there for them at very, at key positions. And obviously the AJ Brown trade kind of headlining um, this idea that how he knows when to do something and what's coming and what the right value should be and how to accomplish something that's best for your team and doesn't put you out for the long term. Assistant coach of the year. Um, you know, there's a lot of candidates for this. You know, I thought D'Amico Ryans did a great job. Uh, ben Johnson. So D'Amico Ryans, the Niners defensive coordinator, obviously. Ben Johnson for the Lions, uh, their offensive coordinator, I think could easily win this award as well. I, I went with Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator. I just think that as much as Dable got the Giants back to the playoffs, I think the most important thing he did was hire Martindale. The Giants defense, it's not easy to remember now, uh, but the defense is the reason they started 6-1. and one. And Martindale, he said he's never dealt with this many injuries, this many players coming in and out. And it was just a, a masterpiece of a coaching job by Don Martindale. And um, I think assistant coach of the year is the very least that he deserves for that. And then I'll run real quick through my first team, all NFL, and then we'll get you over to Antoine Staley and the Jets. So um, voted for one quarterback, Jalen Hurts of the Eagles, two running backs, Josh Jacobs of the Raiders, Christian McCaffrey of the 49ers, two receivers, Justin Jefferson of the Vikings, Devontae Adams of the Raiders, one tight end, Travis Kelsey, one center, his brother, Jason Kelsey, Two guards, Joel, Joel Betonio from the Cleveland Browns and Zach Martin of the Dallas Cowboys. Offensive tackles, I went with my guy here in New York, Andrew Thomas. I know Trent Williams is an excellent player, but I mean, Andrew couldn't have done any more and I thought played like the best tackle in football from wire to wire. And then Lane Johnson at right tackle for the Eagles, just one of the more impressive specimens and uh, toughest guys in the league. Defensive ends, I voted for two, Nick Bosa and Miles Garrett of the Niners and Browns, respectfully. Defensive tackles voted for two, Chris Jones of the Chiefs and Quinnen Williams of the Jets. Outside linebackers, Micah Parsons of the Cowboys and Hassan Reddick of the Eagles. Middle linebacker, Fred Warner of the 49ers. I mean, I, I think I voted for him the last three years as the first team inside linebacker. For everybody tuning into the championship games, be sure to watch Fred Warner at the middle of the Niners defense. He is so fun to watch and so unique. Two cornerbacks, Patrick Sertain, the second of the Broncos, and Sauce Gardner of the Jets. Both players the Giants wanted in their last two drafts, both players that didn't get to their pick. Two NFL safeties, Minka Fitzpatrick of the Steelers and Talanoa Hufanga of the Niners. And then at special teams, Kicker Daniel Carlson of the Raiders, punter Tommy Townsend of the Chiefs, returner from kickoffs Keyshawn Nixon of the Packers, Khalif Raymond of the Lions on punt return, and Jeremy Reeves of the Washington Commanders as your NFL special teamer. Those are my 2022 PFWA postseason on-field awards. And now over to Antoine Staley of the New York Daily News to talk Aaron Rodgers, the Jets, and much more. All right. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We love having this guest on, a repeat guest for good reason. He knows the NFL. He knows the Jets better than anyone. He is the Daily News' Antoine Staley. Antoine, thanks for coming back, man. Nice to have me get, have me back on, Pat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Uh, hey, man, if, it, it, was, uh, it was cool covering a playoff game with you in, <laughs> in Philadelphia. Um, we're grateful that the result was uh, decided early so we could oh. meet those deadlines. Yeah, I mean that was it was not good the result obviously, but uh, yeah, at least we get to cover a playoff game as you said, and then uh, we took care of business early. I mean, early on yeah. in the game, so <laughs> I mean that's the <laughs> that's the benefit of having a blow, doing covering a blowout. You're able to take care of work a little bit sooner. 
Yeah, nowadays you don't have as many opportunities to work as a team. Uh, that was fun to work with you down at Lincoln Financial Field. But nobody wants to hear me talk about the Giants and the Eagles right now. You are here. We know why you're here. Aaron Rodgers. Let's get right to it. Aaron Rodgers. I need you to tell me, to tell Jets fans, and tell NFL fans, after Nathaniel Hackett gets hired, what chances do you think the Jets have at landing the great Packers quarterback? Well, I think it's possible. Obviously, him and Aaron, uh, Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers are really close. They're still tight from the days where he's an offensive coordinator for three years. So it's definitely a really good relationship between the two, and they've kept in contact even when uh, Hackett it went out to Denver. Remember, last year was speculation that Aaron Rodgers might go to Denver instead of Russell Wilson, but obviously that didn't happen. So now flip forward a year later, and we're back in the situation where, you know, Hack is uh, at a new stop and, you know, he they, the team needs a quarterback. And obviously Robert Sala talked to, spoke yesterday about how they're looking for a veteran quarterback. There's other days that have been late as far as Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, um, heck, every, you know, even people have already late Tom Brady, you know, to the Jets too as well. But, you know, I think <laughs> the fact of the matter is like whenever you bring in a guy that knows the system that, you know, Hackett has, then you're going to link to Aaron Rodgers, especially considering, you know, he's think he may or may not either retire or he may or may not decide he wants to change teams. So I definitely think it's possible, but they made the move simply because they need an offensive coordinator and they wanted a new voice in the room. And, you know, somebody that can up start, jump start this offense, especially considering they went three weeks without scoring a touchdown uh, late in the season. Do you think um, so? Rogers is due, I believe, it's a, almost fifty nine million dollars in salary. Correct for the twenty twenty three season. Would that prevent? Like, let's say you know he's interested. Is that just Woody Johnson doesn't care? He'll pay whatever. Bring Aaron Rodgers to New York, or would that stop the Jets? No, I think they would do whatever it takes to make it happen. Now, they also may uh, decide to restructure his deal to make it a little bit cap friendly because they're going to have to because the Jets are they're over the cap right now just about or they're getting close to it. Like they're they're so close. Like they're going to have to make some moves as far as salary cap casualties this offseason. But, yeah, I mean, the Jets can make it work. They will make it work. Willie, Woody Johnson has been starving for winner for the last 12 years. And the thing about him, he loves the back pages. He loves winning, you know, the day, you know, as, as, as you know, like yeah, as far right. as like getting those back pages, whether it be the daily news or the post or Newsday or whatever, like he loves just having the jets being talked about regularly. And, you know, right now everybody's talking about Aaron Rodgers and the Daniel Hackney licking them together. What more, what way to have more the back pages than, to kind of steal some of your thunder from the Giants than to have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, especially when he speaks on a week-to-week basis. So I, I know he would do whatever it takes to make it happen if Aaron Rodgers wanted to, to wanted to come to New York. That is a great point, Antoine. You know, you talk about Tim Tebow, et cetera. Like Woody Johnson wants that. He loves that. There's no doubt he had the Won't You Be My Neighbor Daily News back page <laughs> front and center on his desk with your coverage. And I believe Will Pakutka was the one who put that together yes. on our desk. That was a fantastic back page this week. And you're absolutely right. There is a, we don't always talk about it, especially recently because the Jets and the Giants had both been down, but there's a big rivalry there for wanting to be known as New York team, New York's team, command the respect of New York's team. And let's just face it, and you're hitting on it. Everybody, when they think of New York football, the Giants are the ones who usually get the billing and not the Jets. So Woody is constantly wanting to remind people, no, we are New York's football team as well. We play in the same stadium and he's trying to win that day and very aware of whether he's winning or losing the day on the public front. So I think that's a fantastic point by you. Obviously, like you said, nobody's in Aaron Rodgers' head. And even if you are, you probably wouldn't be able to navigate it. (laughs) Um, But so let's do this then. You mentioned some of the names already. You're obviously way ahead of me here. But if you could just for now, Let's just look at Derek Carr, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Rodgers, and why don't we just for fun throw in Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson, okay? Could you rank those for me, one through, what was that, five, of most likely to least likely, just in your mind right now? I'm not going to hold you to it a week from now. We know everything changes, but you're really close to the Jets and to this situation, so how would you rank... One being most likely, 
five being least likely. Well, considering what you said that nobody's in Aaron Rodgers' head, so we don't know what this man is thinking. Like, for all I know, he could just be flirting with the Jets, like, and just end up going back to Green Bay. So, like, the way I would rank it is Jimmy Garoppolo won, and I know this is probably not what fans want to hear, but the reason I think won is because he'll be able to be uh, signed to a free agency. And he also knows uh, Nathaniel Hackett's system. They run, like, a West Coast type of offense very similar to what Kyle Shanahan run in San Francisco. So he would be one for me. And he's played in cold weather, although, you know, very limited when he was with the Patriots. That's kind of a knock that on Derek Carr right now, who I think would be two. The problem with Derek Carr is also the money situation. You know, they would probably have to restructure him. And also the Raiders have to make a decision on him three, three days after the Super Bowl. Either they have to cut him or they have to trade him. So you're going to have right. to make that decision very quick. So he would be – so Garoppolo and Carr would be two for me. Rodgers would be three, just because he's the wild card in all of this. Again, nobody knows what he's thinking. I think he's probably going to go back to Green Bay. I think he's just flirting, you know, with everybody else. But in the end, I think he'll end up going back to Green Bay. But you never know. You really don't know. <laughs> and right, then, like you're saying, you're reserving the right to vault him from three to one if he just exactly. decides that he wants to play in New York. Yeah, I guess. That's why I have him in the middle, like, because yep. he's the wild card at all of this. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I know writing about it early this week, I would probably have him four just because – it seems like the Ravens really want to keep him, but it's, I don't want to necessarily put him at five because something just doesn't add up. Doesn't It doesn't feel right with him and the Ravens. It seems like some hurt feelings there, whether it be, you know, either with the contract or how things were handled injury-wise at the towards the end of the year. So I don't know. I, I think the Ravens want him back. I don't know if Lamar Jackson 100% wants to come back and be a part of the Ravens. So that would be for Tom Brady. It's hard, hard to see Tom Brady being, you know, with the Jets, considering he played with the Patriots so long. But he's going to need a new home somewhere. And apparently it's not going to be a Tampa. And his choices are probably going to be very limited, considering he's a he'll be a 46-year-old quarterback and coming off a down year for him. So probably like three or four teams, I think, will be in the market for him. I'm sure Vegas will, too, especially, you know, considering what they do, uh, either they draft one or they may also go after Jimmy Garoppolo, too, as well. So, yeah, I think he would probably be five for me. That's a great breakdown. You're right. L- Lamar, I think it ends up getting done in Baltimore, but you're absolutely right. It's There is something off there for sure, especially I think you would agree with me. Like The way that either players on the team or you know former players were talking about that he should be playing and he could play, exactly. you don't see that a lot. You don't see players – speak on other guys injuries and bodies and ability to play and question their work ethic like that that was that was very unusual usually that's obviously something that's coming from somewhere and also you don't also see players just tweeting about their injury giving their updates that way like I felt like that was very uh odd in that way and then John Harbaugh who's very transparent he like he thought that Lamar would be out a few weeks and then a few weeks ended up turning into five and then yeah. it ended up being he was just really, you know, he he wasn't transparent at all. He was like, I don't know. I don't know. When coaches start saying I don't know, then something is not right at all. <laughs> like they usually have an answer for every single thing. They might not always want to answer it, but they typically right. have an answer for everything. Right. When guys are who are accomplished at telling white lies can't even exactly. do that. It's like, wait, wait a second. Um, so now this is not realistic, but Let's just say hypothetically, all five of those options were equally possible as far as Jimmy G, Derek Carr, Rodgers, Jackson, Brady. Which one of those quarterbacks to you would be the best fit and the biggest get for the Jets? I think for Le- 2023 and the long term. I think if you could get any of these guys, it'd be Lamar Jackson for me because he's still young. He's 25, 26 years old. And you have him for the future, you at least have him for the next 10 to 12 years, potentially. With Rodgers, it kind of feels like a Brett Favre all over again, like, <laughs> I don't know how many years later. And he might, he might play another year, he might play another two years, but uh, your window for winning is very, very short, especially in the AFC where you still got to go through Josh Allen in your own division in the Bills. We've seen what Joe Burrow did to Buffalo last week, and you still have Patrick Mahomes, like, lurking around too as well so those guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon so again when you even if you have an Aaron Rodgers yeah the Jets will be a playoff team but I don't know necessarily they would be a Super Bowl contender unless they were to add a few more pieces there so for me I would go with Lamar Jackson because he gives you 
a larger window to work with as opposed to Aaron Rodgers. Man, Brett Favre, another classic Woody Johnson back page move. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there's the other example I was missing. And the other thing about Lamar is, and I know you're you're getting to this and this is what you're saying, but like in the short term too, Salah's defense, the way that the Jets defense was playing, if they had a running game that kept the offense on the field and kept the defense fresh, I mean, you might be talking about a team that could, you know, a surrender, I don't know, nine points a game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you're really talking about a team that would just smother opponents, no? Yeah, I think so. I think the reason they wasn't elite, I think, especially the last part of the season, they got tired. Like, they kept going back out there on the field. And I think we saw that with the Jacksonville game. And then early on in Seattle, they had some breakdowns too as well. And if your offense keeps having to go back out there, I mean, your defense can have to go back on the field because your offense can't generate any yards or points. That's deflating for a defense. And these guys are, you know, big, you know, sometimes 300-pound guys, even as good as Quentin Williams is, you're going to get tired throughout the course of the game. And I just feel like they just kind of broke down later on in the season and just wasn't the same team and, you know, made some mistakes. And I think that's kind of why you you saw them. They were fourth in the NFL in total defense, but I feel like with a better offense, they probably could have been in the top two. No doubt, no doubt. That's a great point about tiring down the stretch. So – we, I just passed it to get to the quarterback conversation, but let's go back to the Hackett hiring. Can you give me, let's say, a couple points that you think are in favor of that hire and positives, and then maybe some negatives or uh, things that you've heard or things that you believe could make this hire not the right fit? You know, because it definitely, I don't think it ex- it was exciting to the Jets fan base, but it also wasn't surprising. So where do you see it going either positively or negatively with Hackett here? Well, I thought this was possible. I had been saying it like we talked about it, you know, just off the record yeah, you or whatever. You know, yeah. Like I just felt like, you know, whoever Paula Sala had a, you know, close relationship. They worked together in Jacksonville too. They needed somebody with more experience. Mike LaFour came in. He had never been an offensive coordinator before. And I think you definitely saw signs of that, especially last year in the stretch when the team is seven and four have an opportunity to make the playoffs. And then there were no adjustments at times throughout the course of the, uh, down the stretch. And, you know, I know you got a young team there, but you got to be able to make, you got to go be able to uh, roll with the punches sometimes. And I felt like LaFleur would just, you know, would do the same thing all over again. Oh, and then, like I said, that's always, that's insanity for what, what most people say, uh, expect to doing the same thing right. all over again, expect to get a different result. And, they they didn't, and then that's kind of why they they often struggle. They they scored a, they obviously eleven eleven points per game in the last six games. Like that is, yeah, that's the lowest in the league during that time. So to have a guy at least with Hackett who's been experienced, who's been around great quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, although I know it didn't work out last year, but he's been around there, been around Aaron Rodgers, been around a variety of different teams. I think that's a benefit to the Jets uh, roster and the offense next year, because I think at least he'll be able to scheme up different things that LaFleur couldn't do on the fly. So I think Mm. that's a positive. A negative is, if you look at, you know, the offenses that he's ran, they've been kind of like lower in the league outside of Green Bay in those three years. I mean, they've been like, I think the numbers were like 25, 20, 17, 26, 30, and then the the Broncos defense, the Broncos offense last year was with 32nd in the league. And total offense, 32nd, the worst in the NFL. And actually, their offense got better once they fired him. So, yeah, that's saying a lot. So, it's to me, I felt like it was a bit of an uninspired hire. But at the same time, I knew that's probably going to be the case because, you know, you got a guy like Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. They're on they're the hot seat. Like, they got to make the playoffs this year. I know Woody Johnson to give them a playoff mandate, but – if they don't make the playoffs this year, especially considering what the Giants did under Brian Dayball uh, in his first year, they're they're gone. Like they're going to be looking for jobs next year. They have they got to make the playoffs. Like I said, you're a step ahead of me. That I was just going to ask you. That was like I'm, I'm <laughs> listening to Woody Johnson say there's no playoff mandate and thinking, how is that possible? But you just answered my question. They are under the gun to make this happen. So everything they do needs to get them to that result before anything else. So that leads me to then my next question. What do they need to do to the roster? What can they do to the roster? What have to be, obviously we know quarterback, that's number one, 
But after quarterback, what are the two, three, four other priorities that Douglas and Sala need to hit here? Offensive line is a definitely a big issue, too. Uh, I mean, you got some quick question marks there. Is Dwayne Brown going to retire? Uh, Makai Beckton, he comes back into the fold there. He looks He's a lot slimmer than what he was when we last saw him there, but can he stay healthy? He really hadn't played a better part of two years. Uh, he got hurt um, early in 2021 in the first game of the season, ended up missing the entire year. And then, you know, 22 was a wash because he ended up getting hurt in training camp. So he has not played mostly two years. What is he going to look like? And can you rely on him to be your left tackle? I don't know if you can. So you need to go out and try to get somebody, whether it be the draft or a free agency or things of that nature. So, yeah, short up the offensive line is number one for me. Getting some, getting a compliment to Garrett Wilson is another one. Uh, I definitely think he's a stud. I think he's going to be a star. But, you know, Corey Davis, a veteran, hasn't been able to stay healthy. I think you need somebody else that can, you know, take the top off the defense there and stretch it no matter who the quarterback's going to be. And three, I think, you know, safety, I think, is definitely a bit priority, too, as well, on the defensive side of the ball there. I feel like they got burnt at times there. It's definitely a weakness of the Jets' defense. I think that's also a priority. And then I was throwing another one, uh, a defensive tackle opposite Quentin Williams, especially coming off the year that he's had. He's definitely going to get more and more double teams next year. So you need somebody that can also take some pressure off of him, too, as well, and be able to, you know, free get free up from defenders. So those would be my top list as far as priorities. I love that you're trying to you're not just looking at the defense and saying the defense is good, let's hit the offense. You're continuing to reinforce areas of the defense that need it. Do you think Douglas and Sala are of that same mind? Like will they look at their roster and say, We're not okay on defense. We need to keep reinforcing and supporting key positions you know, in our strength and not let it become a weakness? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because, I mean, even as good as their defense was, there were still some deficiencies there as pass coverage. Cornerbacks are straight are fine. Like, Sauce came out, had a one of the best rookie years I've ever seen at the quarterback position, maybe the best. And then yeah. DJ Reed, I think, is very underrated. Could have got some more Pro Bowl consideration there. But I really think the safety position is where a lot of teams attack the Jets, like in the middle of the field there, uh, whether it be at the slot cornerback position or also – at the uh, on the back end as well, so I definitely think that's definitely a bit's priority, and I think they I think they will see that too, especially Salah being a defensive guy and seeing what he was able to get going in San Francisco and, and what still going there with the Forty Nine as well is how good their defense is. That's why they're playing this weekend. Can you? I'm glad you brought up Sauce because so you everybody does the end of season awards, and and I voted Sauce rook, my rookie of the year. Um, I think I voted. Tariq Woolen defensive rookie of the year, like behind him for pro football writers. Woolen's stats, like interceptions, turnovers, force, that kind of thing. He has better stats than Sauce. But I think a lot, what a lot of people have said is, yeah, well, people, the quarterbacks weren't throwing at Sauce by the end of the year. As I wanted to ask you that, you were at every game in person. Was this a case of eventually teams did not throw at Sauce's side? Is that what was happening? And is that why maybe? He didn't have as many opportunities at the ball, especially in the second half of the season as a guy like Woolen in Seattle. I think teams threw it, Sauce, probably like two or three times the last three games of the season. And I think Seattle didn't throw him at all. Like Seattle was like, absolutely not. They challenged DJ Reed. They challenged everybody else. They didn't throw it at him at all. And then Jacksonville was kind of the same thing. They didn't throw it, Sauce, at all. He's already commanding that Deion Sanders type of respect. And he's a rookie. Like, that That's is crazy. Insane. Yeah, that, I, again, I've never seen that at a guy that's so young. It usually takes, you know, three or four years to get that type of respect. But he's been so good and so solid that teams are like, you know, hell with this. Like, we're just going to go in. <laughs> like, like, we're not going to let him beat. That's why he doesn't have the interceptions that he that he, he could have because teams are refusing to throw his way. It's kind of like, I don't want to compare him to Revis, but even Revis in his heyday, like, he wouldn't get a lot of interceptions but because teams stopped throwing his way. So it's kind right. of the same thing. And then you got a guy like Sauce that's like six foot three, that's long and lanky and can get the can this, you know, recover so fast, especially with his speed too, as well. It's just it's insane. So I think teams are starting to learn like Jets have some weaknesses other places. Let's not throw it to him where he could potentially hurt us and pick it off. That is a remarkable amount of respect for a rookie. I mean, you just said it, but and what was he first first rookie corner to win first team all? Since Ronnie Lott. 
since not Ronnie Lott in 81. It's, it's so, it's so uh, fascinating, Antoine. Like, and I know we do this kind of every year as you're looking to the draft, you're also thinking about previous drafts and how dominoes fall. And like, we know that back last year, the giants loved sauce and would have taken him if he was there and the jets scoop him up and just think of how different things are, could be, will be just because of one decision by one team versus another, like the jets right now are still playing little brother to the giants here, but they got the player there that I think the giants have to be, even with Kayvon Thibodeau making some game changing plays, the giants have to be a bit envious because they still need that number one uh, cornerback. I wanted to circle back real quick yeah. to, you mentioned Mike LaFleur and how he it got stale at the end. So he gets hired now as the Rams offensive coordinator under Sean McVay. Do you think that that's a positive career development for him going to LA under McVay in oh, yeah. uh, with the Rams? Oh yeah. I mean, that's like a fast track to a head coaching job at some point. I know you, I know you're not going to be calling plays and McVay's the primary play caller, but you're still game planning and schematically helping out throughout the course of the week. And, you know, and we've seen yeah. it with other coaches too around the league. I mean, look at, you know, just guys that have been on his staff that have gone on to be head coaches. Look, Kevin, Kevin O'Connell, you know, he's there and with the Vikings right now. I know uh, Brandon Staley was the defensive coordinator there. He was on his staff. He's, with the Chargers, right? No matter what you think about him and his, you know, what he's doing with the Chargers, he's still got a head coaching job being on his staff too. So, yeah, let's say the Rams, you know, have a comeback year next year, which I think they will, especially when they get healthy, when you get Stafford and Cooper Cut and all those guys back, Aaron Donald back healthy there, they'll be in the midst once again. And who's to say a year from now, we're not talking about, you know, Mike LaFleur being a candidate for a head coaching job somewhere. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but I think it's very much possible. No, you're you're right. I mean, before when he got the Jets job, even before that, people were saying, "Watch for, you know, Matt's brother. Here he comes, fast track, all that." And the re, you're right. The Sean McVay connection is is just go, everything he touches turns to gold as far as head coaching jobs. I just wasn't sure if taking play calling responsibilities away from a guy, you know, could be detrimental. But I think you're you're absolutely right. I think I'm overthinking it a little bit. In the sense you would that think just so. being involved with that program is going to be, you know, a positive. You would think so, but because he's not calling plays, but we've seen it do- doesn't always matter. Like, especially when you're in the right system and somebody like that. People like Sean McVay, they think he's like a boy wonder. So anything, again, what you said, anything he touches, like people want to try to bring that into their program and just try to, you know, have the same thing going on with their, you know, existing team. So I think – you know, why not? Especially it's going to be, a. I imagine it was like five coaching openings this year. I, it's probably going to be even more next year, uh, depending on what happens, because we, we see it from year to year. Sometimes it's like five, sometimes it's like seven, eight, nine coaching openings from time to time. So I imagine yeah. he's going to get some uh, interviews from somewhere. He might not get a job, but he'll at least get some interviews. I'm, I'm willing to bet. All right. And lastly, uh, spinning it forward here, I think you're headed down to Senior Bowl, what uh, should we look for as far as what's coming next for the Jets? Are there any players you're looking for? Um, or is there like some next domino to fall that you expect on the Jets side? Well, we'll speak with uh, the assistant, you know, general manager down there. And also uh, Joe Douglas is also going to talk at some point at the senior bowl. So that'd be really good to get his perspective about a veteran quarterback. Cause Robert Sala kind of deflected some of those questions to Joe Douglas as well. Like that's a Joe question. So now we get to ask Joe that at the Senior Bowl. So that'll be interesting, too, as well. And it's kind of look at, you know, some of the quarterbacks that are down there. I know they may not start for the Jets next year, but I'm a, I'm a big proponent of always taking a quarterback to mold and develop. And even if it's like your third quarterback, let's, I mean, Zach Wilson hasn't worked out. So why not take a guy in the sixth, seventh round like a Max Duggan from TCU, develop him, and see what he turns out to be. Maybe he can – you know, be the next Brock Purdy down the line. You, I mean, we seen again. We're seeing it right now. You never know when you may need somebody like that. So it's good to take. You know, I'm going to be looking at some of the quarterbacks, but it's good to take a quarterback even if it's later on in the draft. Like it, like it, and yeah, I think you would agree with this too. Is like in the NFL, head coaches are always at the podium, always on camera, always on the microphone, so they take all the heat, and it's part of the job. But especially in a case like Joe Douglas, listen, man, you drafted Zach Wilson second overall. It's a disaster, and he has to answer for that. We'll be looking forward to 
uh, your coverage down in Mobile, Alabama. And I'll get you out with this. We're not picking against the spread here. I want to know your picks. NFC Championship game, Eagles-Niners, and AFC Championship game, Chiefs-Bengals. Who will be in the Super Bowl in Arizona? I, I was really on the Niners bandwagon, and then I saw what the Eagles – I know this against the Giants, but – you know, I just kind of saw what the Eagles did last week, and I have a hard time picking against them, especially, you know, Hurst seems like he's healthy, you know, healthier than what he was. And that defense is just, like, crazy good. And then they got two, like, top-flight corners. So we talked about, you know, Sauce and DJ Reed, but James Bradbury was playing out of his mind last week along with Darius Slay. I got, I got to take the Eagles in this one, especially with them playing in that hostile crowd there uh where you know a lot of middle fingers will be going up i'm sure it brought purdy uh and probably the rest of the the 49ers beat reporters uh down there so i'm gonna take the eagles and i gotta go with the Bengals. i just think they're the more talented team and then mahomes is a bit compromised there with his ankle i know he said this you know he's healthy looks good but i, I just like joe burr i like i just think they're too dominant right now they have too many weapons offensively and then defensively, they were they got out to Josh Allen last week, especially uh, you know Trey Henderson. You know, it's a lot of those guys there defensively, and Lou Alamillo, who's you know a New Yorker, like he's you know I think he should get some consideration to be a head coach. To be completely honest with you, for what he's done with the Bengals defense, I don't think that gets talked about enough. But yeah, I think I I'm going to go with the Bengals and the Eagles for the uh, Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. Joe Cool and Jalen Hurts. I like it. Antoine, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for coming on. I think this is your third time. Yes. You really helped us get through and help carry us through our first season here on Talking Ball. Um, the offseason, as you and all of our listeners know, sometimes is even busier uh, than the NFL season. So we'll look forward to having you back when Rodgers gets traded. To- no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, We'll look forward to having you back, though, down the road because we know – not only are the Jets going to make more news, but they're going to try to make more news than the Giants because uh, we know Woody loves those back pages. So thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Let's get over to Pat's picks. In these two games remaining, the NFC and AFC Championship games, let's start with the Eagles against the 49ers. Philadelphia hosting and two-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. Um, I think Hurts is going to have to throw the ball to win this game. They will not push the Niners around up front in the run game as easily, certainly, as they pushed around the Giants to a tune of, I believe, 268 yards rushing. But I think the health of A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, and Devontae Smith will be the difference compared to the Eagles' performance in the playoffs a year ago. That Brown trade, I think, is going to loom large. I think having this home field, you don't always have home field advantage anymore. Uh, It doesn't always rear its head. I do think, though, that Brock Purdy playing in Philadelphia and after a a game against the Cowboys where Dallas's pass rush was able to get to Purdy, and I think the Eagles' pass rush led by Hassan Reddick, which nearly set an NFL record for sacks in a season, is probably going to fluster him even more. And the Niners have a good offensive line. It's just going to be that difficult, I think, for them to handle a deep and talented pass rush led by veterans like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. I will say this, Brock Purdy was excellent against the Cowboys at abandoning plays and knowing when to just throw it away and live to see another down on another day. I was very impressed by that. And so I don't think he's going to go into Philadelphia necessarily and just explode and kind of revert to some version of a player that we haven't seen yet to the Mr. Irrelevant that he was in the draft being the last pick in the seventh round of last spring's draft. But I do think that the Eagles are just, they have too much firepower. They're getting healthy now after being kind of banged up at the end of the regular season. They are stacked and Jalen Hurts, as long as his right shoulder looks as healthy as it did against the Giants, I'd like the Eagles to win and to cover. And then let's go over to the AFC, Bengals against the Chiefs. It's hard for me to pick against Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, Joe Shiesty. Boy, did he look poised, and boy, did the Bengals' offensive line and run game and defense look so good in that win in the snow on the road against the Buffalo Bills. But I'm not here doubting Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going to sit here and say that that ankle is going to make me pick against the Chiefs. And I know the Bengals have beaten them in in this spot. I know they've beaten them in the playoffs. I know that the Bengals, this is probably disrespecting a team that's earned more than this. 
But I just think that Mahomes, Kelsey, what he's been able to do, even without Tyree Kill, Jarek McKinnon, Kadarius Toney, um, you know, Marquez Valdez Scantling, they just keep doing it. They just keep finding a way. And Andy Reid coming back and facing the Eagles in the Super Bowl, that would be a sexy matchup, no question about it. Arrowhead is one of the, if not the, toughest place to play in the league as far as being among the loudest stadiums, most hostile, worst weather, the combination of all those things going into this game. Now, listen, the Bengals are tough. If anybody can do it, the Bengals can. But I like Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs that sets up an Eagles-Chiefs Super Bowl in Arizona. Can't wait for that, no matter who advances. But looking forward to that, my picks, the Eagles and the Chiefs. As you can probably tell, the Eagles are my best bet because even as I pick Mahomes and the Chiefs, I'm kind of doing that lean back and forth, like when you take a jump shot and the ball's bouncing around the rim and you're not quite sure if it's going in yet. That's kind of how I feel about my Chiefs pick. But this has been a blast of a season. And we're not going to stop here on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We're going to keep on rolling. But I wanted to thank all of you for listening, for engaging. And please remember, this is so important. If you enjoy this podcast, if you like listening to our analysis here, if you like following the the opinions of our guests, if you like uh, talking picks and against the spread, and you just like NFL content in general that we bring you here on the Believe Network and on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard, please review in the comments on Apple, on Spotify, on my YouTube page, on the Believe Network YouTube page. Please hit subscribe. Please like. Please download. Please do all of these metrics that help us continue to grow And that will only help us continue to get more great guests, continue to talk more ball, and bring you news here on my debut podcast, 2022 season, in the books. Thanks again for being a part of it, and we will see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.